Welcome to the Borgen Podcast, the only English language podcast about fictional Danish politics. On our show, we explore the people, events, and parties that make up the fictional Danish parliament on Borgen. I'm one of your hosts, Amy, coming to you from Istanbul, Turkey. And I am, as always, joined by my good friend and co-host Chantal, who broadcasts from her room with a fabulous view in Toronto, Canada. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Chantal. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here with you on this sunny day in Toronto. It's uh, November 19th in the morning. It's the November 19th evening here. I bet it's a bit warmer here than it is uh, where you are. I heard it snowed in Toronto. It snowed and I, yes, it was beautiful, but then I had to shovel it. So <laughs> <laughs> we had, we had 15 degrees in sun for half the day and cloudy this morning, 15 degrees. Sounds it's wonderful. Like, it's too hot in my apartment right now. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> All right. So we're happy to be back recording. We're going to be wrapping up the last couple of episodes of season two of the Borgen podcast. And with that, we're going to get straight into it. Uh, I'm going to be discussing episode nine of season two, and Amy's going to follow me and talk about episode 10. So yes. if you're ready, Amy, here we yeah. go. So episode nine opens up at TV one and it's with Torben and uh, Ulrich on air talking about uh, Brigitte's opening speech and how she expressed her thoughts against the former government's privatization of healthcare. And she wants to have a public health system. Brigitte speaks mm -hmm. out against quote, giving, giving tax advantages to those who prefer private hospitals Torben comments that she is also saying that private hospitals contribute to the declining quality of public hospitals. The next scene is Parliament. Brigitte is looking for Casper, who hobbles into her office late for work. He's got crutches to help him walk, and he has two canes. Well, those are the crutches. Um, Brigitte is displeased with him and she tells him that he was injured in a sports inju injury and she tells him that, quote, you're cut out to sit behind a desk and use your head. She tells him this is ironic because they are trying to get a major health care reform passed. The next scene is Laura, Philip and Brigitte in the therapist's office, and he said that in his assessment that Laura needs long term therapy to change her negative thought patterns and removing her anxiety. The suggestion is for Laura to go into a two month therapy program. The therapist said that it is fairly expensive, but the private healthcare insurance covers 85%. We see Laura fidgeting with her hands and suddenly she has an outburst, knocking things off of the therapist's desk to the ground. Brigitte calls, Brigitte calls Casper and tells him to cancel the conference room that, she, that was planned for the conference this afternoon to happen. She asked him to handle it and for him to stop by her house later to brief her on, on the meeting. Philip takes a break and goes to see his girlfriend who works at the hospital. He asks her what she thinks of this situation in her professional opinion. She affirms him by saying that it is a good place that the therapist has recommended. He falls into her embrace and it is clear that he is upset and feeling overwhelmed. At the press conference, a journalist is overheard gossiping, saying that, quote, it's how she gets access to the PM. He's putting two and two together that Casper and Katrine are an item. 
Han tells Katrine that she'd better go public with the relationship and that Katrine may lose her job if Torben hears about this the wrong way. After the two-minute press conference, it was quick as Casper did not say anything on behalf of Brigitta, who's out at Laura's appointment. The press leaves, and when Katrine comes back to her room, he asks her to hand him his crutches. He was keeping it a secret from the journalist that he was using cut crutches, telling Katrine, quote, I'm not going to hand Express the headline, quote, Ministry on Crutches. And remember, of course, Express is the gossip tabloid that Michael Lagasin owns and runs. Katrine tells Casper that uh, them keeping the relationship a secret is going to boil over and they need to think about what to do. Casper comes to the Newborg home and reports to Brigitta about the press conference. Laura is also there. Casper tells Brigitta that, quote, solidarity is going to make you pay for their vote for the health care reform. The phone rings and is Anne-Sophie Lindenkron, and Brigitta is heard asking her, quote, what do we need to work out before you vote for our reform? Casper and Laura are alone now, and we could see that she looks listless and gives one-word answers at his attempt with, at pleasantries with her. He tells her that he has spent he had spent 13 months in a mental hospital and that no one understands. He smiles and asks her not to say anything. As he's leaving, Casper tells Brigitta that she's she's he's dating Katrine and that they live together. She says nothing at first. He tells her, quote, that's not she he she's not a reporter at home. Brigitte smiles and tells him congratulations. It is clear that this news is not a problem for her. Casper heads to Katrine's apartment where he's also living and gives Katrine the good news that the PM does not have a problem with their relationship. He asks her what Torben has said, and she tells Casper that she has not had the chance to talk to Torben yet because all anyone can talk about is Brigitte canceling the press conference. Casper talks, tells Katrine that Laura is suffering from serious panic attacks. Katrine says in a low voice to him that you shouldn't tell me. Casper says, I know, but maybe I needed to tell you. When I was Laura's age, and then he stops. Katrine's face softens and she comes to embrace him and kiss him on the forehead and says, I love you. She understands that when he was Laura's age, he had a very difficult and tumultuous life. The next morning, Brigitte, Philip, and Laura head to Lee's home, which is the place where Laura is going to be staying. Um, where the therapist suggested. The woman meets them there, and uh, she's the head facilitator, it seems like head administrator and therapist. And she's not phased that the PM is in her office, which I think is really great because this is a meeting not about Brigitte, it's about Laura. The woman says to Laura, I understand, Laura, you don't want to be here. Would you like to tell me how you feel, Laura? Laura begins to say, you won't understand. Brigitte tries to encourage that and says, sweetie, you don't know that. The therapist says, maybe we don't understand, but let me describe how I think you feel. You feel as though you are behind a glass wall out of contact with your parents and your friends. You have trouble breathing. And when there are too many people around, you are afraid your heart will stop beating if you let go. You're exhausted in the morning and awake at night. You don't want to take your medicine because you feel it's weak of you and that it makes you feel like you're like you're letting down your parents. I'm guessing, I'm just guessing, and I am good at guessing because there are others who feel exactly like, like you do. 
I tried to help some of them here, and Laura agrees to give this a try. Over to TB1, we see Katrine go into Torben's office. He's busy, and she gets straight to the point and says, I am dating Casper Yule, the PM's spin doctor. He freezes and looks up at her and asks her, have you gone mad? Are you aware of the possible consequences? You can't date her spin doctor. She says, he's living with me. Do you want me to clear my desk? Torben says to her that if I suspect any pillow talk between the two of you, you're out. He further goes on to ask her if she's planning for any babies soon. And they are trying, and if they are going to start trying to let him know, will you? Katrine has a look of obvious surprise on her face. Torben says, I need to know. I have enough people. I need to have enough people on duty. This makes paperwork less uh, less difficult, but congratulations. She does not say anything and looks at him and smiles and says, thanks. The next scene we see Pia telling Katrine that we're going to have Ulrich do the 8.30 PM program and that we're giving her, we're giving her a story about secondhand smoke. It's crossed my mind that this is Torben's way of punishing Katrine for living with Casper and possibly getting uh, pregnant someday soon. The next scene is Anne-Sophie Lindenkron riding her bike be beside Brigitte's car, and Brigitte tells the driver to stop. She rolls down the window, and Lindenkron asks her if she's got if she got her email. Brigitte says, yes, you want me to cut the tax advantage twice as fast as we agreed. Lindenkron says that, quote, it's as bad as in America. We never should have had those tax advantages. Brigitte says... Still, families now budget for them, and we can't just cut them overnight She and suggest to phase them out gradually. Lyndon Crone asks her, don't you want your health reform to go through? Brigitte asks her if this is a threat, and Lyndon Crone says, quote, we're not giving it away for free. We are not going to just, we're not just parliamentary cheerleaders for all of your bills. So do you want to get your health reform passed? Brigitte says, quote, I'm going to. I've already met plenty of your demands. This one is too much. No. If you want to topple a PM you've got, you've supported until now, then opt for Lars Hesselbo instead, okay? Next, we see Brigitte at Parliament, where she tells Casper about her encounter with Lyndon Crone and that she's late and that she's laid out more demands on Brigitte. Brigitte says to Casper that she's closed the discussion but that they need to write the bill in favor of their views. She tells Casper that Laura is going to be staying at Lee's home and it's going to cost a fortune and we need to figure out how to pay for it. It would be foolhardy to use pri Philip's private health insurance seeing as our reform bill declares war on private health insurance. Brigitte says she does not want this to hit the media she says to Casper, seeing as our reform bill declares war on private health insurance. Casper says that it's a good, this is good scoop for the media. The PM's daughter staying at Lee's home. He says, it's the very thing that you oppose. Who stands to gain from it politically? The opposition. It's only, only it's not Hesselbo's style. Unless he really wants to score political points on Laura's illness. Casper tells her that he cannot guarantee Brigitte absolute protection from the media, and she says, you have to, and he says, yeah. Next, we see Brigitte being interviewed on, on TV saying, quote, I don't want to lose our fine public health system in favor of conditions like those in America. We see Torben and Ulrich taking 
talking on the camera at TV One, Torben clarifies that she wants to cut the tax advantages on private health insurance to avoid having taxpayers support private health insurance. The health reform is keeping in with the government's battle of values. At home, Magnus and Brigitte are having dinner together, and when she asks him how school was, he tells her that they talked about Laura at school and that she's gone to Lee's home to feel better. Brigitte questions him politely and gently and asks him if that's all he said, and he said yes. Magnus asks if Philip is going to sleep over, and Brigitte says that he does not live here anymore, so no, he's not going to sleep over. Katrine comes home from her to her apartment to find Casper there working his computer. She tells Casper that she's told Torben of the news of them being together and that he wants to know if they will have kids. This, then they get into this really awkward conversation. Casper's lukewarm and Im implied that they are not going to have kids because both of them work so much and that is not a life for kids to be in with absent parents. She asks him who, who, said they will always be working so much if they had kids. It's clear that they are not seeing eye to eye in this conversation and they're, they're thinking in different ways. She says to him, if we had a baby, maybe we wouldn't work so much. I'd like to imagine a future that you hadn't already mapped out. He responds by saying that he does not like answering hypothetical questions. It is obvious to the viewer, the audience, that this is a very tender subject for them. Laura and Brigitte are on the phone. It's morning time the next morning, and Brigitte is asking Laura how she is doing. She says that she's had breakfast, but she's not. she does not want to participate in a group therapy session to talk about herself in front of others. Instead, there are some exercise sessions which she'll participate in. Casper hobbles over on crutches to Brigitte's house, and he hands her the morning paper. The headline says... Quote, she wants to cut tax advantages of health insurance for common people, and yet the PM admits her daughter to an expensive private hospital. Casper tells her that they'll put a lid on it, just as, and it's just Logason's personal vendetta. Hesselbo has not commented on it, and I honestly think he's above it. Brigitte thinks and remembers Magnus had told someone in his class about Laura, Magnus comes out onto the veranda where Brigitte and Casper are and asks, I can't talk about Laura? And he has a confused look on his face. Next at TV One, Torben and his crew are standing around the computer and streaming a video of Logason from, from the Express website. Logason says, quote, hypocrisy is pretending to hold a certain belief, view, set of values, feeling or standard in, that in fact you don't. Brigitte Newborg wants to cut tax advantages because the evil private hospitals steal the best doctors. Yet she spends a fortune to have her own daughter sidestep the wait list. If that isn't hypocrisy, I don't know what is. Turbin says that this has nothing to do with politics and that, that this is Newborg's daughter. Ulrich says, sure, it has to do with politics. Her health reform is about to be passed. Katrine says that she agrees with Torben, and Torben asks Simon to get a quote from Parliament and give it to Ulrich, who will run it on tonight's news. Katrine looks disappointed and goes to see Torben afterwards and asks him if he's taking her off the government stories in case she can't handle it, and says, maybe you're afraid I can't keep up with my work and my private life apart, my keep my work life and private life apart. He tells her that she's jumping to conclusions. 
Simon is over at Parliament interviewing Hesselbo and asks, quote, is it hypocritical of Newborg to send her daughter to a private hospital? Hesselbo responds, I won't comment on her private life, but I find it astonishing that she's out to stop common people from using private hospitals when she herself uses them. And I thought that this was at least, you know, more polished than what Lagasin would come out and say. Um, so Casper shows up at Lee's home to talk to Brigitta. Brigitta sees Casper, but needs to talk to Laura, Laura's doctor first, and prioritizes that over talking to Casper. Casper stays in a room with Laura and the other people who are there in the room, and he waits for her permission before he sits down at the table and, and he's seated in front of her. He asks Laura how she's doing, and she asks him, how did you get well? He responds, who says that I did? He says, I started talking to people and realized that maybe I was not as crazy as I thought. Then Brigitte comes back after talking to the therapist and says that Laura does not have to join the group therapy and that the therapist will discuss alternative alternatives to the group therapy with her. And later we see Laura does indeed go to the group therapy. And I suspect that this is because uh, she was no doubt influenced by Casper and their little talk that they just had prior to that. Um, Casper and Brigitte go outside and he tells her, if Hesabo enters the debate, you have to respond. She asks him, what will she say if she responds? Uh, your daughter is ill. You have to, you have to, you've had to admit her to a private hospital, but you can, you still wish to strengthen the public healthcare system. Brigitte says, and I want to cut tax advantages of the private health insurance. We can't accept waiting lists up to 50 weeks. Casper says exactly and tells her to get emotional. He says, just don't stick to the facts. You're a mother of a sick daughter too. You're a PM for part of your life, but a mother throughout your life. And she tells him that it's tacky and she does not want to say that <laughs> and laughs. And she does not say it and she does not play the emotional card as so many people would expect her to do to get emotional because she's a woman, but she does not do this. Regita goes on TV one to be interviewed by Katrine. Katrine starts off by saying, still, you want to strengthen the, the public healthcare system and yet you use a private hospital. Brigitte says, I can't split it up like that. My daughter is very ill. Many Danes are in the same situation as me. In the long wait list, and the long wait list force us to, to find an alternative. Katrine jumps in and says, you've been PM for three years. Why haven't you alleviated this situation? Brigitte responds by saying, but I have. Look at all the bills we've proposed, and you'll see we've tried to better the situation. It takes time to correct Hesselbo's long-favoring private hospitals. We want a, a strong public health sector. Katrine then brings up that Lagasin called Brigitte a hypocrite. And what does she think of that? And Brigitte says, if I'm a hypocrite for wanting the best for my daughter, as well as a strong public health sector, then I'm a hypocrite. I'm sure voters agree that I take care of my child and oppose the state-funded privatization of the health sector. Katrine asks her, if politics have a if politicians have a higher moral standard than the rest of us, Brigitte responds by saying, politicians should have a higher moral standard, and I think I do, but I am also morally obligated as a mother to do what's best for my daughter under the given circumstances. That's why I'm looking forward to our health reform, of which I'm proud. The next scene is Brigitte in her office, 
calling Anne-Sophie Lindenkron from the Solidarity Party, telling Lindenkron, you've heard me refer to the health situation in America, and I was showing my appreciation for your support, but I want your yes before we vote on the reform. Anne-Sophie is on board and will support them, and Brigitte says they'll pass the reform on Tuesday. The next scene is at Lee's home where Laura is staying and the, and the group therapy is playing a game outside. Suddenly a photographer with a telescopic lens comes out of the bushes and starts snapping photos of Laura saying loudly in front of everyone, nice place your mom found for you, don't you think? Brigitte gets a call from Lee's home to inform her of what's happened. Casper is going to confront Lagasin and tells him that uh, trespassing is a sin and that basically he's a lowlife for doing this to Laura and purposely terrifying her and triggering a new anxiety attack uh, when she is on the mend. And Lagasin admits by saying, and this is a scene where they're face to face, um, Lagasin admits it by saying, we don't want to terrify anyone. Casper tells him, run the photos and face the consequences. Lagasin says, all smug. Should the courts find him guilty of breaking the law, he'll happily print them an apology on page 18 and then goes into his car and drives off. Brigitte comes home, uh, brings Laura home and they go to sleep. Philip is seeing at the edge of the bed, watching them, clearly heavy with concern and worry. The next scene, they're back at, at Lee's home uh, where the media is swarmed, swarming the front entrance and pouncing on Casper as he drives up. Give us something. What's the hospital fee here? How long is she staying here? Casper holds up the front of the newspaper and flaps it in front of their face. Laura is on the cover. The pictures, these are the pictures that were snapped yesterday. And he says, I'd like for you to consider whether you'll find this decent press co coverage. Brigitte and the head administrator of Lee's home speak, and the administrator tells Brigitte to try and make this subside. The parents and the, of the other patients are trying to call in, but they're having to wait extra long periods because the phone is tied up with these reporters. She tells Brigitte that they don't have the resources to deal with this, and Brigitte says she understands. The headlines the next day are, quote, the week's top story is still that the PM's mentally ill daughter is still the uh, PM's mentally ill daughter. Her daughter had a nervous breakdown during the peace talks. Has newborn taken care of her child at all during these past three years? Next, we see Casper at Parliament in Brigitte's office. She's upset and she says she despises that people, the people behind this, that they're hurting a child, quote, hurting a child. How the hell do they justify themselves? Having a job like this so low and disgraceful, they're all rats. They went through our garbage can yesterday morning and this morning. She's getting really upset and angry. She asked Casper, who benefits from it? Who reads it? What do people get out of it? The next scene at TV One with some stuff, we see some staff watching a video. It's Logiston again on a video on his website, Express, and he's reading out the Lee's Home menu and making a point that the PM's daughter is in luxury and most Danes are not, which I think is completely sick and disgusting to do, to use Brigitte's child as a weapon like this against Brigitte. Pia is disgusted by Logason. Yeah. Torben wants I, to have Logason. Go ahead, Amy. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't interrupted you, but like it's I agree, it's so disgusting. And the comment, has she even taken care of her daughter over the last three years, is despicable. It's like 
I'm going to have more to say on that when I talk about my episode, but it puts, it, it just, it highlights this double standard um, yeah. that we'll be discussing. It's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Brigitte as a mother is a failure because her daughter's sick. Brigitte as a prime minister is a failure because she's a hypocrite or whatever. Like it, it's just impossible to do the right thing for all, all the for people all the time. And, yes. and of and course, I, tabloid press will nitpick every little thing that the person does. But this is a low blow. I mean, to take yeah, it's really bad. Read it out loud. It's disgusting. Yeah, so. it is disgusting. It's like the most kind of um, it's like this. It's it, well, at the time this came out, this was this season came out, what, 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So like now it's that kind of journalism has become kind of standard, like that's how bad things have gotten. It's like the post Trump world, whether you're in America or elsewhere, has just become like this like feeding frenzy for bottom feeding tabloid journalism. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So P is disgusted by Logason, as are, I think, all of us. Torben wants to have Logason into the studio to talk about press ethics. Then the phone rings and it's Casper calling Ulrich, not Katrine which is good. Casper is not calling Katrine, which is good. Um, they To say that the PM's office is going to make all relevant information about the case available to them at their disposal, and that Ulrich can come by the parliament. Casper meets with Ulrich, and Ulrich is dressed up in a button-up shirt and slacks and a blazer, very professional, and Casper says that we're going to give you everything. Brigitte wants to comment, but doesn't want to talk to Logason. We may be able to persuade Laura's therapist to give her take on it as well. The next scene at Lee's home, we see about four photographers walking on the Lee's home property with their cameras poised and ready. There's a reporter's voice being heard over this scene. Today, the government is going to present the health reform package. Newborg wants to focus more on the public health system. The scene switches to Laura inside Lee's home, laying down beside Brigitte, and Laura tells her that she took the ball today, which means that she spoke in front of the therapy uh, session, the group therapy session, uh, which means that she's having a positive breakthrough. Philip comes to call Brigitte to come with him because the head administrator wants to speak with them. The administrator tells them that since the media interest, since the media interest and their presence on the property is not waning, She's had a meeting with all of the nurses and the doctors and the other patients' parents are deeply concerned and it's affecting their children. Just alone today, Lee's home has been approached by 30 to 40 reporters asking, asking them to find another place. And she's asking them to find another place. Brigitte asked for 24 hours grace period before they move Laura. At Parliament, Brigitte asked Casper, as long as I... Uh, PM tells Casper, as long as I am PM, the press won't leave Laura alone. Not now that the case has gone from being private to a political issue. At TV One, they are reporting the news. The PM is going, it's got her reform package passed despite the turbulence surrounding her. A PM will always be a subject to extreme political pressure. Back at Parliament, Hans Christensen Thornson is seen here, uh, is here to see Brigitte. The scene changes, and we're at the press conference now for the most shocking scene of the episode. Brigitte takes the mic with Hans Christensen at her side. She looks directly into the press and begins with a smile. Hello, I am sorry I had to cancel the last conference. I am astonished to see just how many brutal press coverage 
of me and my private life has become. It is vital for my family to overcome these hardships and for the government to get peace to work. And so I implore you, the media, to respect my daughter's need to be left in peace and to get well. However, a PM can't avoid the attention of the press. This story has become one of public interest. This has led me to make the difficult but necessary decision to obtain leave as PM in order to focus on my family and daughter. The media breaks out into an uproar. Vice President H.C. Thoris, uh, Vice Prime Minister H.C. Thorinson will be taking over my official duties. How long will you be on leave, asked one journalist. That depends on my daughter. Will you call an election, asked another one. No, responds Brigitta. This is only about me, the PM, not Parliament. With that, the journalists all break out, asking questions at the same time, and Brigitta walks out to let Hans Christensen Thornson handle the questions. She goes to her office, puts on her coat, grabs her bag, heads to the elevator, and the scene ends with her looking straight into the camera from inside the elevator as the doors close. And that concludes the episode. So a yeah. lot has happened. A lot happens in that episode. There's less in episode 10, even though it's the final episode of the um, season. It feels like there are fewer threads through that episode that I'll be talking about shortly. But yeah, high impact. So there's a few different interesting things that happen in episode nine. The thing with Brigitte stepping aside as prime minister, which is yeah. unprecedented. Um well, maybe it's not unprecedented. I don't know if a PM has ever taken leave of absence in Denmark, but let's for her, it's unprecedented. Um, and then um, the 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 emergence of the low life tabloid press, yeah, hitting a real a real low. I mean, it's been kind of declining. We see like Logson's tactics getting slimier and slimier as the season goes on, and they kind of bottom out here. Um, which is, it must be such a fun character to play. I can't believe how much fun that must be to play a villain like that. Um, <laughs> but like, it just, it just highlights, it, it's very parallel to reality. Like I said, like journalism standards have like decreased so much over the past. 2016. You know, yeah. And even before that, like since the advent of the 24-hour news cycle or like all news channels like CNN have started, you just see the same repeated sound bites over and over and over again. Like investigative journalism doesn't happen in the same way that it used to happen before. Like there's no, you know, people used to depend, like people used to watch the news at night, like the six o'clock news or the eight o'clock news. And that was how we got information about everything happening in the world in right. the pre-internet era right and so um the ever since the internet started with this advent of like constant constant news things happening over and over again and there's a million sources where you can get your information from that and yeah a lot of it's uh, and like this is becoming a major issue in our day and age, the misinformation age. Yeah. I've heard this era described as the post-truth post era, where now you can have like, you know, insane people like, who's that idiot in America? Marjorie, whatever, double name, blonde woman. I don't know. 
a the one who made the comment American about politics. And by the way, listeners, we are not American. I think some people mistake that, that we are American. Yeah, We're we are not. Both We're Canadian, Canadian nationals. <laughs> Amy used to live here. She now lives in Istanbul. We are, we are not American. So I tried to stay yeah. away in politics, even though it is all over our faces. What is it? Marjorie, no, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think her name is. She actually has said like horrendously anti-Semitic remarks, like that there's Jewish space lasers that are going to shoot Santa Claus out of the sky. That's a, that's a quote from her. Like people say this stuff, they go and like actually say these kinds of things. And, um, you know, I don't know, maybe we, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but it's like, that's a thing. And it's just become so terrible. And when you look in Katrine's apartment, God knows how she lives in that tiny apartment with Casper in there, especially with him on crutches. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> when you're in, when you see Katrine's apartment, you see there's a poster. Maybe I've mentioned this before. There's a poster on her closet in, door. Uh, in season one, when we did a yeah, one of my favorite episodes uh, uh, that we recorded in season one. It was the bonus episode called Interior. Yes. And I love that episode because I think we did a really good job of it. If we, yeah. if we say that. And yeah. I, I also like the way we we dissected everything, like the scenes in the interiors. And you did talk about the poster. Uh, yeah, in- the, All the President's Men. Yeah, right. Which is this film made with Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman as um, the guys who, uh, Woodward and Bernstein, the guys who broke the Watergate scandal. Um, did anyone ever ask Nixon how he managed his family life in politics i don't i bet they didn't probably not i'm guessing <laughs> not but it just that that poster like harkens back to a type of journalistic standard and investigative power that you don't see very much you do see it in other places but not necessarily in quote unquote mainstream media um <clears throat> sometimes like um essayists will do better investigative stories like, I mean, this will also reveal probably my personal politics is if you can't tell, I'm not conservative in any way, shape or form, but like people like Rebecca Solnit or Rowan Farrell will do investigative journalism that will help expose, you know, problems in our society. Like Rowan Farrell um, wrote an article in addition to two female journalists whose names escape me right now, even though I looked at, I was looking at their stuff today, who helped expose the Harvey Weinstein thing um and expose his sexual harassment and i believe there a film has just been made about those two journalists let me quickly look it up yes it um, has i saw it advertised in preview yeah. i went to the movies not that it's long called ago. yeah it's called she said and let me just have a quick look at the names of the journalists oh yeah uh, Megan Toey and Jody Cantor, who broke one of the most important stories about this, you know, um, ongoing sexual harassment problem in Hollywood, not just with Weinstein, obviously Weinstein was like the key figure, but it's pretty widespread from what I understand. So type that type, and they were actually wrote for the New York Times. So that is a sort of mainstream journalistic paper, but more and more often it's like news has been reduced to like you know, the, the running script on the bottom of the screen and, um, Twitter. Yes. Which is, and, and, as, and that's going to take an, in another turn because of what just happened with Elon Musk buying Twitter. So who knows what's going to happen at Twitter anymore? Yes. Yes. And it all comes down to no matter what is happening, no matter what decade we're in, the, the viewer has to check their sources, 
check the yeah. date it was published, check who published it, and not yeah. just believe some silly, you know, uh, tweet from some yeah. name person, you know, that that's never yeah. going to change, no matter if yeah. it's 25 years from now or whatever, if you still have to check your sources and have that responsibility. Yeah. And you know? mind you also though, um, agencies, agencies, Twitter's not an agency, outlets, media outlets like uh, Twitter also can provide um, somewhat democratic news or they used to, I don't know what will happen now, but somewhat, somewhat democratic news sources during in places where there's crises and where the standard media outlets are censored, like where I live, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there was a bombing here a week ago, um, a week ago tomorrow. Uh, and after the uh, terrorist bomb, probably a terrorist bomb in one of the main pedestrian streets in Istanbul in Taksim called Istiklal Jadisi. And um, I used to live in that neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, immediately after that happened, there was a media ban on reporting on that event. And the press is very strictly controlled by the government here. Um, so a good place to look also if you're finding sources from different countries or whatever about a certain story, have a look at the Press Freedom Index so you can find out what kind of journalistic ethics the country that you're reading news from has, because that will have an impact on the type of news you're getting as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I point that out to my, my students, especially my Model UN students. The Press Freedom Ind Index is a big indicator of like democratic process in a country as well. And um, that can make a big difference. Denmark has a very high rating, by the way. They have really excellent press freedom, which also includes a rating about responsibility of the media to report truthfully and factually, mm -hmm. in addition to um, like freedom of the press, basically. There are rights and responsibilities in equal measure. All right. And yeah, that's my rant about the media. So bring it back to Morgan, <laughs> I've prepared some discussion points to discuss with you, Amy. Um, so I'm going to leave sure. that now. And now I'm that I took say... it off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, I'll bring you back to, 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 <clears throat> sure. to Morgan. Okay. So um, as so viewing this episode as a Canadian, I have to say, of course, we are, we, you as well, your Canadian national. Yeah are in favor of this public health system, which is what we have yep. here. This yep. fantastic system where if I need, if I'm not feeling well, I need to go to the doctor, I don't need to pay, I have insurance, mm -hmm. um, I can stay in the hospital, I have insurance, like it, it is yep. amazing. Um, yep. And that is something that I'm very grateful for in this country, which everyone will need at some point. And yep. we have that here. So I, I really uh, connected to her, uh, argument and her fight for trying to get yeah. that there um, yeah. and to get away from this elitist system because if you go private then it is elitist right can how much can you pay what's your income yeah. what can you afford is directly proportionate to the care that you're going to receive right mm -hmm. there's um, e there is in turkey there is a strong public health system and there's also private health insurance so a lot of employers will offer you private health insurance as well and i have used both the public and private health care here and i have to say i find them equally good um the That's difference good. is if you have private health insurance provided by an employer i don't pay for that myself um the um the benefit is there are there's less wait, waiting times 
but the quality of care in both types of institutions is equally good. And I very often go to a public hospital actually for certain things. So, mm-hmm. um, but I did the benefit of my health insurance is I was able to get an MRI on my hip injury. I have a bone bruise on my hip people. Um, and I got an MRI same day. I went into the, uh, the, uh, orthopedic guy's office and he was like, yeah, I think you have a bone bruise. Let's get you an MRI. And I went downstairs and got one. Great. And I had like no waiting time. There was like nobody down there. So it was, it was really lucky and I did have to pay a little bit out of pocket, but I think it, it cost me, it, it did not cost me very much, like under a hundred dollars. Great. Well under. Yeah. And that's, so that's really awesome to hear. Yeah. If I was getting an MRI in the public system here, I probably would have had to wait longer, but it would still po- be possible. And it would depend. They could send me to a hospital on the other side of the city if right like an MRI room was open or whatever. There's lots of hospitals here. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So the second point I want to make, uh, and I know we have to record your, your, your part too. So maybe we could just go through these kind of rapid fire. Yes. Yeah, sorry. What I really liked <laughs> here is, um, Casper and Laura having this time together and they meet one-on-one quite accidentally, but it happens at least twice in this episode. And what I really liked about this is that he is the perfect person for Laura to talk to because he's almost like a de facto family member. He's Brigitte's right-hand man. He's very uh, present in, in her life. He's someone that her mother trusts. He's, he's much older than her. Um, almost like a brother figure, older brother figure. And he's gone through this and he understands difficulties, confusions, anxiety, loneliness, and feeling like an outsider at a young age, just like she is. So I thought it was really impactful for them to have this uh, time together. Um, And Brigitte doesn't know the content of their conversation and she doesn't need to know. It was a very positive uh, influence. on. In fact, yeah, Laura never mentions it. As far as no. I know, that stays private between her and Casper. And, and I, I thought it was excellent that's as well. great because she understands the code, you know, when someone's gone through yeah. something very difficult, you don't want to out that news. Um, yeah. It's and something I'm, very sensitive. And she has the emotional maturity to recognize that. Yeah, of course, because she has to now that yeah. going through a mental health crisis gives you emotional maturity. It's part of the it's part of the side effects of, <laughs> I mean, if you manage to get proper care, if you have like the kind of anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder that Laura has and you get proper care and attention, you do end up having gaining emotional maturity because you have to, in order to deal with it. Yep. You um, have to. And have I to love when Casper, I love when Casper just goes, yeah, they don't understand. They're yeah. not going to understand. And he's right. People don't understand who haven't gone through it. They don't, they just don't. They don't. And I think it also gives her permission to, to feel. Yes. Be afraid to feel because, okay, they don't understand. So might as well just let break the, break the seal, let it all bust out how you're feeling because they're not going to understand. So don't keep this pent up, just accept it. Talk to Casper who has gone through it and has clearly survived. He's successful, right? His mother, her mother really values him and, He's a positive influence. So I really like that. The second thing I want to talk about and point out was about Casper and Katrine. And for the listeners that may not be aware, uh, two episodes ago, we recorded a bonus episode about all about Casper, focusing on him and his life. 
And we also focused on his relationship with Katrine. And one of the things that I liked in this episode, episode nine, is that they constantly, their relationship ebbs and flows, but we we see their love for each other and how she really understands him. So when she when he started talking about, you know, Laura and Laura had a panic attack, she was immediately able to sense that this was a sore spot for him and was there to, you know, comfort him and and um you know, let him know that she's a safe person to be with and talk to about it if he wants to. So I really like totally. that in in the relationship. Um, Same the, here. Yeah, I, I think it's so important, right? I mean, that was something in Casper's life that he was caring with him for so long. And even into adulthood, we see that it's had significant uh, imprints on him. And oh, yeah. The reason why he didn't tell Katrine for so long because he didn't know how she would react. And that's one of the things we we really always respect in Katrine is what a re- receptive and loving girlfriend she is. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And lucky. Yeah. And that's also why, I mean, it's that is also why he's able to help Laura when the time comes, when he has those encounters with her, he's able to actually, because it's out there because now that knowledge is like, it's out there and Laura knows about it. So she's able to like, ask him, how did you get better? And he's like, who says I did, which I think is really interesting and worth pointing out that that's also something that can happen when you have a mental health crisis, you don't necessarily get better. You just learn how to live with it or learn ways to cope with your, struggles or when you go through periods where you feel less well you learn how to deal with it yep and that's and something out. that yeah that's I thought that it was pretty good for tv land discussion of mental health issues actually mm-hmm. yes I I yeah. agree I agree so the next point I wanted to make the scene that I thought was was also kind of dramatic was when uh Katrine went to talk to Torben to say, you know what, I'm in a relationship with Casper Yule and Torben's attitude towards, well, if you're going to start to have a baby or try for a baby, let me know. And I, it's so I, inappropriate, so inappropriate. And actually it's illegal here. You can't. Ask yeah, it's totally. Yeah, you can't. It's probably illegal in Denmark, too. Probably. I can't probably. imagine that it wouldn't be. I would be surprised if it wasn't. But it's like you can't you can't say that to people. I mean, but Torben, I mean, he kind of crosses some lines anyway, right? So, well, but yes, that kind of it's, thing. It's so gendered. It's so inappropriate. You know, as we say, would they ask a man, do you plan to have kids? Do you plan to take yeah. parental leave? You know, yeah. and I, I'll go into just a, a little story for a minute here, just to say that I have a colleague who um, she said that when she went to interview in jobs that she would she would actually take her wedding ring off because she didn't want the employer. This is back pre, pre-COVID when we had uh, in-person job interviews. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I've changed jobs in the pandemic and it has not been an in-person interview. It's been, it's been uh, on Zoom. But this was pre-COVID when you'd meet your, you know, go to interview. And she said she would take her ring off. And I'm not married, but I said to her, I said, I agree with you. And if I was married and wore a wedding wedding ring, I would remove my wedding ring as well. Yeah. Because I don't, my marital status, if I'm married, divorced, separated, widowed, single, I have two husbands, three wives. I'm, 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 I think that's illegal too. 
<laughs> I think that's illegal too, but it's none of the employer's business. What I need you to assess me on is my ability to take this job. And, and yeah. uh, am I complimentary to what you're looking for as a professional? Yes or no. So I think it's sad sort of the double standard of, you know, they asked totally. a, a woman. Totally. And that's, that's, that's and a key the presumption that all women want children, which all yeah. not want children. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm relatively hetero and like, I do not want kids. I have 140 of them in school. I don't need them in my house. <laughs> like yeah. seriously. I mean, I, I want kids to be judged if I was married and I showed up in the job and someone looked at me and thought I'm of childbearing age. Would I, would I be, would that be held against me? I know. And you know, would I lose be. an opportunity to yeah. an older woman who might not be in her childbearing, you know, prop? no, because of ageism. <laughs> That's even worse. <laughs> They'd be like, no, we don't need any old hags oh, in here. God. You have gray hair, you're damn, out. Damn. Oh, gray hair if you're out. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. We know that story here in Canada with one of our top journalists in the country being yeah. let go. The thought is is it because she let her hair go gray in the during yeah you know and it was she is my favorite journalist of all time and I will support her wherever she goes the news is not the same without her voice and that was a big thread here you know is it because she let her hair go gray say Um, her name Lisa Laflamme yes (laughs) my absolute favorite most trusted voice in this country most esteemed journalist and uh, there is no voice that I listen to and I I I believe is the voice of integrity and authority so it was it's devastating that she's yeah, not was, reporting that was quite a scandal quite, <laughs> I have to quite say a scandal and so much happened after that but anyways this is not about that let me get back to my points here um and yeah so just talking about that double standard there and let's see what else do I have to talk about? Uh, oh, Magnus's innocence of uh, yeah. you know, not wanting to talk about, can I not talk about Laura? And uh, presumably that's how this story gets leaked out, right? Because yeah. some kid in the class probably went home and told their their um, their, their parents. Um, let me see. And okay, so let's bring it back to Torben for a second. I think this is going to conclude my, uh, may conclude my, my, uh, my points. I may have a couple more quick ones, which I'll try and go through quickly. Um, so where I do think Torben is right, okay, and we know Torben's a dick, and but I do like him. <laughs> yeah, um, he's a, I, he's got dickish tendencies. Dickish but tendencies. But he can overcome them if he tries. I think he's a dick. But anyways, I do like him. Would I be able to work for him? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I would um, go a full Hannah Holm on him, though. Is he? I would go Hannah Holm, yes. I would actually prefer like, for Hannah Holm and have yeah. Her to the side. I don't need to work under Torben. But anyways, where I do think Torben is right is when he is apprehensive about this news when he, when Katrine says she's dating Casper Yule. Yeah, it's a bit of a professional a ethics question. It yeah. is a conflict. And though Casper Yule is not employed by TV1, they are they work so closely together. Yeah, Casper Yule is the is the key connection to get all the stories from Parliament to which TV One's ratings and standards and depends, broadcast yeah. heavily depend on. 
So I do agree with Torben that he should be apprehensive and worried. Yeah. And when he tells her one screw up and you're out or something like that in his Torben way, I don't disagree with him. Yeah. I was kind of surprised that Birgitha, our RPM didn't have more to say about that when Casper told her, but I guess she trusts him more maybe, which seems okay. It sort of works anyway. I think the two of them together professionally can handle it, but. I think they can handle it. There's a question mark there. But I also think Brigitte is less, is more relaxed than Torben is. Yeah, Yeah, Torben is not relaxed about anything. Torben is not relaxed at all. And Brigitte (laughs) knows, like Casper has proven himself over and over and over again. He can handle it. He is a smooth operator. We know that. So that is my comment about that. And let me just go down here. Um, So... I just want to comment about how this private and public thing and how Brigitte finds herself. And again, why we love Amy and I love Borgen, but I think all of the people who follow Borgen, love Borgen, perhaps listen to this podcast, why we love the show so much is that it has a brilliant way of making highly ethical matters collide with each other. Yeah have this situation here where her daughter needs to go to private care. And I do want to comment on privilege and say, yes, Brigitte is privileged. Of yes, course. we will always survive. And it's just like in this pandemic, I mean, people, people with quote unquote, higher jobs who could work from home, who could afford to have, uh, you know, proper PPE. Yes, we will survive. Is that something we should apologize for? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a question in education, too, because not all kids have access to Internet and computers at home. That's yeah. right. So it it hits it hits it hits everyone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was an issue, actually, especially in public. Of course, public private as an international teacher, I'm not teaching in the public system in Turkey because the public system doesn't hire foreign teachers. Quite rightly, actually, right. I'm working for a private school that's a non a nonprofit private school, actually. But, uh, you know, our our student body didn't suffer the effects of not having access to the equipment and, you know, internet that they needed. Yeah, the resources that they needed. Yeah. But it was definitely an issue with other students. And it was hard enough online anyway, but uh, without having internet, it would be really hard to get to continue your education. You'd have to have a dedicated, you'd either have to be an extremely disciplined high school student um, because uh, elementary school students probably couldn't self-direct. I'm sure they couldn't. The third grader couldn't teach themselves. No. Or you'd have to have someone at home who was teaching you. And exactly. You do that when I was going to say that. Very work. diligent parents to keep up yeah. with books and whatever. Um, and the last point <laughs> I'm going to make before I hand it over to you is, again, public versus private. And though Brigitte has the money to be in the private system, they actually don't give her any privileges in that in fact they ask yeah. her to leave yeah so it, it yeah, yeah. Is like yes you got into the private system but they're treating you like a public person your yeah, money can't buy everything their, yeah yeah your money can't buy everything and they they asked her they asked her to leave and were they right in asking her to yes. leave yes they were right in asking her to leave you cannot come in here and disrupt this whole this whole hospital or this whole yeah. like residence, we yeah. are accountable to all these other residents. All the other patients. Yeah, exactly. You know? So exactly. Anyways, 
do you have anything else to say about that episode, Amy? I know we talked um, about Just that I think the double standard theme is evident very strongly in episode 10, which is what I'm going to talk about now. Okay, well. So let's get into it. Get into it. Well, last episode of season two, and um, as with the episode, I think it was episode eight that I did on the Cochrane Crisis, I divided up my notes into kind of sections. So I'm going section by section. So the episode opens, I start with government and the episode opens with uh, Hans Christian Thornson acts acting PM going over business in a meeting, <clears throat> how to deal with the uh, UN Security Council. Uh, Denmark's been a member of the Security Council, but wasn't in 2011, I checked. Um, but there's, in case for people who don't know, this is just an aside because I'm a politics nerd a bit. The Security Council has five permanent members, USA, Russia, China, France, and Britain, I think. And then there's a rotating group of other uh, countries who are on that. And Greenland and mineral rights. And the press wants to run a story on who is the PM because our current prime minister has taken this leave of absence. So Thornson wants to meet with TV One to discuss that question, not in his ministerial role as foreign minister, but as acting PM to discuss all of those issues, actually. And Casper and the permanent secretary think that this is a mistake. So Casper meets with Birgitta at home and tells her that Thornson is jumping onto her stuff, her her like pet kind of projects like Greenland, uh, which he normally isn't interested in. But Casper tells uh, Birgitta her poll numbers are falling and they can't control the narrative of her leave anymore. He tells her that Thornson's going on TV as prime minister and she, insi and sh she insists her absence remain ongoing for Laura's sake. She's like, it doesn't matter. Let it happen. I, I'm here for Laura and that's that. So she then sees um, <clears throat> on TV One that there is a lot of debate about the impact of her absence. Torben and Ulrich discuss how it gives labor a bit of visibility of an advantage because of the psychological effect on the public of being de facto leaderless. So the person they elected to be leader isn't there. Switching to uh, Birgit at home, we see her with Laura at the hospital. Laura seems to be doing a lot better. Her doctor recommends her going off slowly her antidepressants, phasing them out. And both Philip and uh, Birgitta are there for the news, which is very good, of course. Laura talks with Brigitte in the next scene about her therapy and how she talks about worrying she will let her mother down because of not doing well in school. And Brigitte says, oh, I don't care about that. You can't let me down, which I think is great mm -hmm. um, and obviously supportive. And obviously, I think from Brigitte's character's point of view, I think that's absolutely true. I don't think it would be a problem. Laura says, don't worry. It's only therapy. We talk about everything. It's good that Laura is shown as kind of accepting therapy is very normal. It should be normal. In fact, speaking of public health care, I wish mental health care was part of standard health care. Mm -hmm. I wish dentistry was as well, too. I think all of that should just be standard. Absolutely. But that's my opinion. Because health care is health care. You might not always need it, but I don't always need to get my le broken leg fixed either. But I can do it if I need to. Yeah. So <clears throat> Laura continues her recovery and is told that she can be a day patient. This is as the episode goes on. I'm just highlighting some parts about her in this section. Laura continues her recovery, told, is told she can be a day patient and won't have to stay over at the hospital. And all of this is leading up to what will Brigitte do now? As they are getting ready to take Laura home, 
Uh, Rita has a quick chat with the doctor there and reveals that Laura has said she feels guilty for not doing well at school and everything, and that affected Brigitte, actually. The doctor sympathizes and says that's the way it goes. Parents are bound to make mistakes in parenting. And Brigitte says sometimes she feels better just working and not dealing with her family, to which the doctor responds, join the club. I think all workaholics feel that way. And then she tells Brigitte that Laura didn't become ill because of her mother's role as PM. And I thought that was really important as well. Mm -hmm. Um, because Laura could have had an anxiety attack with both parents at home doing everything they had normally been doing anyway. We don't know that either her parents' divorce or Brigitte's role as PM is the cause of this anxiety. It might have exacerbated it, but mm -hmm. there's no way of actually knowing. There's no way of actually knowing. So that's what I think about that. And then I wonder if, um, you know, everything that... Brigitte did for Laura was the best thing she could do in the moment, barring, you know, extraordinary behavior, like as a parent, barring extraordinary behavior, like abuse, like what Casper experienced, is not doing the thing you feel is the best at the moment, the best you can do. No one is perfect. Uh, hard times will befall all of us. And there's certainly no guidebook on how to make decent kids or how to make the best possible decisions all the time in a family. I mean, there's loads of self-help books about it, but none of them are definitive. You can't say this is the way to raise a good kid. You can't. It's impossible. Right. And, you know, as is the the older I get, the less I the more I realize that uh, you know, adults knowing how to do stuff is kind of a racket. Like we don't know how to do anything. We have to who who, you know, and you raise one kid, your second kid is completely different. Ask my parents. <laughs> They'll be like, oh my God, you know. So my brother was not like me. And I, he was the easy one. Um, so, so, you know, but anyway, you do what you can, you make the best possible decisions that you can for your kids at that moment. And that's all anyone can do. Laura is definitely getting better. Later, we see her turn down her mom's invite for dinner to go hang out with one of the other girls, which is good. She's making friends. And then Casper and Laura share another moment. He tells her after she offers to help him deal with her mother <laughs> and the whole issue with the what's happening in the PM's office. He goes to her, life is a crock of shit. <laughs> and she says, only if you let your anxiety rule you. And she tells him it's the shit that makes you stronger. And then she kind of gives him a hug and a kiss on the cheek, which I thought was really, really cute. Mm -hmm. And also I thought that was really good because the anxiety is getting to Casper about what to do with Birgitta in this role and like, how to control the, the the press and everything. And uh, and this 13-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid, reminds him, you know, it's only shit if you let it be shit, which is kind of a good message for all of us. Actually. Yes, it is, no matter our age. Yeah. yeah. Very wise, you know, oh, the things, the things we know when we're teenagers. <laughs> oh, must be, must be nice. So then in the media, okay, back to the media here, um, as Thornson's being asked about the government's most prestigious project, the reform bill, our common future, he confirms the last part of the package is passing with a narrow majority because opposition won't cooperate. He says this is because the opposition feels there's an election coming. He insists there is not and that it is not related to uh, Brigitte's absence. TV One continues discussing the PM's absence. Will she ever return? Torben and Ulrich on TV speculate there's no one suitable in the moderates to do the job. 
So therefore, it may be up to another party, implying that the, uh, Brigitte's tenure could be over as the PM and her parties as well. They suggest Thornson doesn't have the clout to beat Hesselbeau as a leader. They discuss a precedent where a previous prime minister had resigned after stating he had an extraordinary remark to make as the viewer sees uh, Brigitte preparing for work and going to the office. She wants to get back to it, passing the rest of the reform package ASAP before the holiday. And when she goes back to the office and rejoins everyone, she sees Pernille there, who suggests that behind Brigitte's back, that they worked their butts off while she was away. And it was like she was barely gone. So there's always that kind of tension within the party. So it's good to see that that's back. And then they act very friendly to each other when they actually speak. And then in the other side of the media, so we have TV One, which is like the legit media, and then we have Logason's Express, which is like the shitty tabloid media. And Logason, <laughs> and this is what I wrote in my notes, online in his shitty excuse for a paper, <laughs> says, we often say that women lend the air of humanity to the corporate world. Women are more in touch with their feelings, but the prime minister must be able to cope with an extreme workload. Do we really want a PM who goes on leave for a month just to take care of her sick daughter? This from the same guy who in the previous episode says, has she even been taking care of her daughter if her daughter got sick while she was prime oh. minister? And making fun of them for giving sending Laura to this private um, institution, which is ridiculous, but also... and. Very ironic, considering he calls Birgitta a hypocrite. It's like, well, yeah, the buddy, dude, check your check your definition again there, because he's also a hypocrite. So anyway, of course, um, he wouldn't have accused her of being a bad mother, you know, if 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 she hadn't gone and take care taken care of her daughter, he would have accused her of being a terrible mother, and because she does, he's she's a terrible PM. So it it doesn't matter either either way you cannot be right. But I've never seen in any interview with any world leader ever, and I've listened to a few really long interviews with world leaders at different times. Uh, no one ever asks them how they coped with family life and being the president or prime minister or whatever. And I've never heard anyone say to Justin Trudeau, for example. So how do you handle uh, fatherhood while being the prime minister of Canada? Nobody's yeah. ever asked him that. Or, or was it a difficult decision for you to take a yeah, break to... from fatherhood and have this career? You know, do you yeah. feel guilty for, for leaving fatherhood and becoming a yeah. prime minister? Yeah, like... I don't even think most men, it would probably not even occur to men who it would never to occur to them it to would, even think that that was an issue. No, yeah. it's it, they they would think of it that's their right. Yeah, that's their exactly. right. Exactly, it's kids with the woman and go on and do whatever. Yeah, and if you know if you are in any way religiously conservative, it's the natural order of things, isn't it? That's what's supposed to happen. Uh, yes, and before we get <laughs> listeners writing into us upset and angry we we are not saying it's all men we are saying no. we are saying yeah hashtag on. not all men okay, hashtag whatever. not all men okay yeah, <laughs> continue yeah, yeah. Amy. <laughs> I, <laughs> there's my Hannah whole moment yeah um i've i've never heard you know i've never heard anyone say to a male leader like how's fatherhood versus leadership so torben is insisting um, that the angle that they want to run is can the nation afford to have any PM who has a home life and family and takes vacations and stuff. He wants to give the prime minister a chance to defend herself 
to do a one-on-one -on -one with Katrina and talk about that issue. So he's trying to spin it so that it's not actually the gender role thing, but it's totally the gender role thing. Um, but he's Casper doing it goes in a nice to the hospital. Yeah, but he, it's, it's still the gender role thing. way, right? But we know the yeah. and what made him ask this in the first place. Of course, it's gendered, but yeah, he's, exactly. he's not being a dick. Hashtag Torben. Yeah, for what? Yeah, this time. <laughs> Hashtag Torben's not being a dick in this episode right here. <laughs> he, he he's one later in the episode, but we'll get there. So Casper goes to the hospital to discuss the strategy and the interview with Katrine and Brigitte says, "Are they flogging that horse too?" I.e., the gender role discussion, and doesn't want to do it because she feels it's beneath her. He tells her Hesselbold could win an election today. That Logason is act asking if women get off work easier and everything. And she counters with the fact that Parliament wants her as PM, and she says she should defend herself, but she refuses, and so TV1 gets Hesselbo in the end anyway. And then we focus back again on the family. So Brigitte and Philip finally start to have a conversation about their split in this episode and the fact that she thinks he was too quick to move on. He says, you weren't there, you were working 24 hours a day. And she says, kind of rightly, that it would have taken some time to figure out how to make things work, and he didn't even give it a year. I think she's right, actually. He just mm -hmm. up and quit the marriage when things got difficult for all of them. But it's not like she was off doing championship show jumping or something. Uh, she was the freaking prime minister and leader of the nation. So yeah. that job will dominate the home life of the people in any prime minister's family. But of course, the suggestion is there that women still have to hold everything together, no matter what job they might have. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we did have um, we did have somebody, uh, one of our listeners, one of our beloved listeners, uh, write into us and um, mention that, that um, about this issue as well. And then we also there's been some commentary about this um, on other sources about Borgen, um, saying that you know that's a fair amount of time to make a decision in a relationship. But like, this is, we're talking about a 10 year plus marriage, obviously here, like nine months or 10 months out of a 15 or 17 or 18 year marriage is yeah. not a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And this is a tremendous adjustment. It's not like, you know, this is not a stay at home mom who got a part-time job. You know, it's not, it's not like somebody who went from part-time to full-time work or changed fields and is working longer hours with a longer commute. This is the leader of the nation. Mm -hmm. And it, there doesn't seem to be any quarter cut for Brigitte here, but I kind of think that Philip did give up too, too quickly. Yeah. He went back on their agreements, right? It was, he's the one, he, he, he decided suddenly that when his wife started getting attention and became the leader of the nation that he wanted to be more ambitious and take on this new job and everything as well. And that wow. caused a bit of an absence and he did not have to do that. He could have waited. Yep. And a, a woman in that position would have been expected to wait. Well, a woman so, in that position would not even be expected to work, stay home and or, take care of kids. Yeah. Or at least not in a job that required the kind of attention that this job does. And, you know, I mean, also politics is a machine that uh, runs itself kind of, and each person is in, in democracies where people are elected in and out of office, regardless of the leanings of the leadership or the parties in power, they still have to work within the machine and the machine is kind of out of control. Like you can't stop it and make it work. You know, you can't 
stop the machine of politics to give yourself a work-life balance. That's just not how it works. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Anyway, in the middle of that argument, Cecile comes and picks Philip up from the house and she also wants to talk. Uh, so things are not going well for Philip with the women no. right now. <laughs> and <laughs> she tells him she can't find her place in all of this. That they, they all seem like a family again. And he says, of course, he has to be there for his daughter. And he's right about that, actually. He does have to be there for his daughter. Um, and, you know, he has to deal with uh, Brigitte for Laura's sake and show that they're unified together because they are her parents. That's totally correct. But also his girlfriend has a point where she's kind of like a little new in this situation. And it's always been a little bit weird. And, you know, she's feeling she's feeling the strain as well. So... Later on, we see Philip come by with Magnus after taking him out to a movie, and Hesselbo's interview is on TV, and he's talking about how some jobs don't allow for much of a home life, and how women try to make that happen more than men. Women try to make the home life happen more than men. He's asked if he's neglected his family. He admits that he did, uh, because of the, in the, I believe that was like the first episode, right? His wife's shopping scandal and yes. the payment problem. Um. And he says it maybe even make him a bad person, but he felt he had to put the duties of the prime minister and it's implied the responsibility for the nation above family. And then Hesselbo admits that Brigitte is a good person for taking care of her child, but that's not the election issue. And he's right, it's not. So he's actually being very fair to her. Um, the election issues have to do with the, the reforms the government's passing, I think is what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. And all of this, but all of that, Philip and Brigitte sitting there listening to it, all of it seems to cause some kind of realization with Philip. And it plays out on his face as he reaches for Brigitte's hand, but she takes it away. And he finally kind of figures out that he may have made a mistake. And really, you think? Yeah. And in fact, the next scene, he goes to see, see Cecile. He says he can't go on a trip they planned and it becomes clear they're splitting up. He realizes he can't carry on with a relationship, a relationship with her. And it's pretty sad, actually. Maybe Philip is the one who needs therapy. He should go talk to Laura anyway. He can't decide what he wants. He should have waited to figure out a way to make things work with Brigitte. Um, and it's pretty dumb to come to that realization by watching Hesselbo on TV. He seems to have some regrets and Cecile rightly points out that he started something with her before finishing what he left behind. And I think that's fair too. And I also think, you know, maybe he was also feeling very lost and alone and people act desperately when they feel lost and alone. So maybe he was having some mental health crisis as well. It's never talked about, but like, if we talk about, if you think about people are now believing that like, you know, a lot of mental health issues are kind of hereditary. I'm not just pointing, you know, just saying. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe he should have waited. But anyway, he comes, uh, he later, um, so later on when we see uh, Philip and uh, Brigitte again, he comes to take Magnus somewhere <clears throat> and he tells her that he, she, he broke it off with Cecile, but he will wait to tell the kids because he's not sure how he feels. So actually, even though he's not a good partner during this crisis with him and Birgitza, he's an excellent father the entire way through. He never puts his children off to the side. 
never, ever, never once. Agree. And I think that's worth pointing out because we're kind of ripping him apart for being hasty and being his his wife and everything. And we're kind of like, we're, we're besmirching him a little bit, but he <clears throat> is faultless. Well, rel- you know, as much as anyone can be as a, as a parent, he's there for Laura. He's there for Magnus. He spends time with them. He never argues with Brigitte in front of them. They never have they never have it out in front of the kids. Like they know, and they're always together. They're always together when they go to Lee's home, when, you know, there's moments at the house, Philip is always there as a good dad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's really important. I think that we emphasize the good parts of his character because even if he screwed up his relationship, you know, that doesn't make him a terrible person entirely. And uh, as I was saying, there's no guidebook for parenting. There's no guidebook for marriages and relationships either. Yep. Like, you know, people just act how they act. And the other thing that's running through this episode, which you started talking about, is the the, uh, Katrina and Casper's relationship, which is another parallel work-life balance, private life, public life issue, right? So because there's a big question mark over, first of all, is their relationship ethical? It seems to die down in this episode, but they have other things going on. So they're looking for a new apartment together because God knows how they fit together in that tiny apartment. <laughs> like I said before, I'm just like, Katrine's apartment in the show is like as big as my living room. Like it's tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're looking for a new apartment. Casper gets a bit weird when the real estate agents mentions the room that can be used as a nursery, and he insists it's an office until the tells the agent kind of rudely it's their decision how to use the rooms, and Katrine tells him to behave himself, which is kind of good. And then they uh, the second time they look at it, um, the realtor again asks about kids, but it's a bit over the top and kind of rude, and it's a bit weird as far as the writing goes. I think why is everyone obsessed over like assuming this couple's going to have kids, especially when the first time you see them, the guy's like, it's an office. And he talks yeah. about taking down a wall and all this. And she should just like, the real estate lady should have figured it out. But anyway, the other thing Katrine needs to do is talk about Torben and whether or not um, her temporary job, because she's actually filling in for someone on maternity leave, even though Torben's been asking her what her plans are that way. Um <clears throat> But it, uh, they want they need to talk about if her current temporary position will continue or whatever. And that gets put off when Casper shows up with a big bunch of roses to make Katrine feel better about the real estate kerfuffle. And everyone gops at them. And they've been trying to avoid being seen together because everyone will gop at them. And then th- that happens. And it's kind of funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, they continue to argue back and forth about whether or not to have kids uh this is a button a hot button issue for casper um katrine brings it up again and um because it's obviously something that's on her mind and she says to him you have the right not to want children and i have the right to want them and he agrees and she says it's not okay we can't talk about it and he says we have and then she points out that they have not actually talked about it it's been shut down by him they've never actually properly discussed it she says she's 31. He, he should understand that she's 31 and uh, wants to have kids eventually. And he says he doesn't want to pass his crummy DNA onto anyone. 
And when she asks why, he says, how can you ask that? And she says, we can't live in the shadow of your past. He gets angry and yells that he doesn't want, he like yells, like he bangs the table and yells, there's yelling. And when she says he's an example of how kids can survive the worst, uh, she says uh, he's an example of how kids can survive the worst kinds of experiences. And has he though, you know, and that kind of, you can see Katrine starting to question the whole relationship. So Casper goes to see his mother, maybe to try and get some answers. Um, but she has dementia. So he goes to see her, his dementia afflicted mother. She calls him by his real name, Kenneth, which is fine. Um, he obviously resents her for her lack of action for what went on when he was his, uh, uh, with his father, as we know, and the abuse that happened. And he asks her why she let it happen, but she cannot or won't answer. Uh, he tells her that he met someone who wants to have his baby. She's not at all in the presence. She starts singing songs from his childhood. And it's really kind of tragic, actually. I mean, I'm not currently dealing with anyone in my family who has dementia. Um, but it's pretty tragic when it happens. Um, although I will say just a little um, shout out to the Canadian public health care system. Thank you for fixing my dad. <laughs> so I have had parents who have dealt with pretty major health crises. My dad went through heart surgery in the public system in Canada mm -hmm. and is doing really well. Thank you very much for that. Um, so uh, anyway, um, he will never get his answers, actually. And he really doesn't have anyone except Katrina. Um, he won't get his answers about what happened to him. But really, does anyone? Do we ever really find out why things happen to us? Not really. We just have to deal with the what of happened to us. So he comes back to Katrine and seems much more able to talk about it. And he actually like removes her birth control pills off to the side. So much for Torben's opinions. He tells her he loves her. Uh, Casper, that is. Um, Casper tells Katrine he loves her, not Torben, just to make that clear. <laughs> Torben's not declaring his love for Katrine. Um, this scene uh, allows this discussion between Katrine and Torben to happen. He gives her this weird backhanded compliments of saying they've never worked so well together, that he would miss the endless frustrations of working with her and her being a pain in the ass to him all the time. He makes her promise to stay true to herself and wants her as a regular host. So he obviously has a... This is the interesting thing about Torben. He's kind of treats everyone badly, but he always sees their value, even though he always puts them down. Mm -hmm. He's the original nigger. Um, so he, he also brings up pregnancy again and tells her it would be better for him if she doesn't have a baby soon because that will cause problems with scheduling. And I have written down here many exclamation points in brackets. And this is so ridiculous. It should never happen in a workplace, but I guess it does. <laughs> so I just was like, yeah, like we <clears throat> said before, like that's kind of ridiculous. So as we come to the conclusion of the episode, um, we see Bent comes. Bent comes a couple times. First, he comes and sees Brigitte while she's at home fixing her bicycle. I had that. I thought was hot, by the way. Brigitte yeah. outside and her hair is down. She's more relaxed. She's on her break from being, uh, you know, PM having PM duties. And she's yeah. got the bicycle all like fixing it up. I thought that was hot. Yeah. Yeah. And he comes by and at that, that's earlier in the episode actually. And I, I had it written down and I seem to have like deleted that by accident, but um, 
it's uh, it was a, a very nice scene and he comes and tells her like the garden looks great and she looks great and like the rest has been good for her but you know not to neglect the the castle borgen too long because she's got to go back and like assert herself kind of exactly paralleling what casper was saying so when she's back he comes to the office he's kind of semi-retired because of his health crisis and he brings her flowers his hydrangeas and tells her how to take care of them and i just i love ben so much he's like one of my favorite characters on this me whole too. show i get so happy when i see him yeah me too it's like oh ben's on oh and then the reform package goes through. He expresses the disappointment with the gender discussion and not her accomplishments. He's like, I don't know why they're talking about why you're a woman when they should be talking about the things you've actually done. And he shows her notes from their first meetings and that state this, the first thing they want to accomplish when she becomes prime minister, rethink the Danish welfare model, secure the environment through long-term planning and strengthen the healthcare system and make it independent from private insurance. And he says, then no one ever praises the prime minister. So I'm going to do it. You've done a hell of a good job. Hard times will come with Hesabo's proposed tax cuts that are coming up, but Gita will, will take it. And she plans to go to see the queen. So something's up. If you go to see the queen, something's up. Mm -hmm. And all three of those things she accomplishes. She has some losses in season two, like certain bits of legislation don't pass, but those general things start to take shape. Mm -hmm. under her leadership in season two and uh then we see the speaker of the house announce the prime minister has an extraordinary remark as a callback to earlier what bent told brigitte at the beginning of the episode that only one other prime minister used that phrase and he resigned it causes a stir in the house brigitte lists the first four women who gained seats in danish parliament in 1918 elna munk helga larsen and Karen Ankerstedt and Matilda Maling Hauschlitz and Hauschlitz, sorry, my bad German pronunciation there, and says, uh, and thus, she says, and thus ended the debate about whether women are cut out to be politicians to all those who wish to debate whether women should enter politics on equal terms with men and ultimately become prime minister. I can only say you are 100 years behind. She states that anyone who thought she would resign and become a housewife did not really know her at all. Not that there's anything wrong with being a stay-at-home mom either. That's a perfectly legitimate choice and a yep. freaking hard job, frankly. And yep. she calls it an election at this point, asking the people to choose the prime minister uh, that they see as the best person to serve the country and not be concerned with the gender of that person. And that's how the episode and the season wraps up. And I'm, I'm so happy that they addressed all those double standards. I thought that was great. And also, I'm quite a fan of the Danish Queen at the moment, because after the death of Queen Elizabeth II in uh, England, she made some pretty big reforms to the titles of her children and reduced their royal duties to try and normalize things a bit more, which I thought was really interesting an interesting move after seeing all the pomp and circumstance of what's going on with the uh, the English royal family. Yeah. But anyway, that's an aside. So yeah, that's how season two ends. So there's a lot of focus in this season on um, public versus private life and the accomplishments that Birgitta was able to do. There's a lot of like pluses and minuses. Minus on the home side, a plus on the home side. 
The minus is the divorce. The plus is helping Laura. And minuses with some legislation, like the the issue in Afghanistan, that was a a tough call for her and a few other things that don't happen. And then pluses like the Karun negotiation, like passing this reform bill. Yeah, and that's that's all I have to say about episode 10. So breaking it into discussion then, I'll start and I'll say um, I absolutely agree with Cecile when she said to him, basically she said to him, you did not, you, you ran into this relationship with me without settling your previous relationship. And I agree with yeah. her 100% that she... Mm-hmm. He he didn't leave time. He went from his wife straight to her without letting it digest and settle what happened and for him to reflect on what happened. And you said something right that we never talked about before, which is Philip should seek the advice of some therapist to discuss what's going on with him. We don't see Philip with close friends right? The way in our personal lives, if something, you know, is a bit haywire or we're upset, we'll reach out to one of our close friends, close trusted friends and talk about it. When Philip's marriage comes to a crumble and he decides to leave, he doesn't discuss that with anyone. No, he doesn't. Right. And, and I know like in, 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 in my real life, these are the things friends would discuss. Hey, you know, this person is really changing and I don't know what to do, or this is, you know, something we're talking about in my household. And, you know, what do you think about that? Like, we don't see Philip talk to anyone about it. So yeah, he should have taken a break and not jumped into Cecile. And for the record, I like Cecile. I have no issue with her. I think she's very attentive and she's, she's very, um, uh, sensitive to what's going on. And he was right when he told her Laura is his, uh, priority and she was not debating that she's not competing with Laura yeah absolutely she's not yeah right yeah but it's it's good that he assert asserted that but I also think that he he rushed and that was a big mistake yeah, yeah. I also thought I mean he does obviously show some grief and anxiety about Laura's situation because he actually cries on Cecile's shoulder yes in episode nine in my episode and four. Yeah, and and I didn't make a note of that. I was like kind of impressed by that. Um, so it's obviously it's obvious that he's suffering, and maybe not just because of Laura, maybe because of like the way things are going with his relationship with Birgitta as well. He's got a lot of issues that are not being resolved. Yeah, um, it's a complex and, situation he's in for sure. Yeah, and I know some people might say to us like you know, we're too critical of Philip or like, we're just painting him painting with a very broad feminist brush or whatever. But also, you know, like I said, like, if you want to keep a t- it, first of all, it's a TV show. Second of all, if you want to keep it realistic, people don't always make the best decisions. Birgitta didn't make the best decisions maybe for her family either. Um, in some of the things that she could have done differently, but Philip didn't make the best decisions as well. And so it's impossible for everyone to make the best decisions all the time about anything that they do. That's right. So I thought like problems are realistic. Problems happen. Yep. And we'll go into that. So after this episode here, we're going to record a season two recap 
episode. Yeah. And Amy and I are going to talk about what we thought overall of season two, and we will go in more about Philip there. Um, but yeah. is there anything else in, in uh, this episode that you want to talk about? Um, um, I don't think so. I just certainly, you know, as far as like people making mistakes, like I said, like we can't know what a mistake is while we're doing it. Sometimes you have to wait until the aftermath of that. There's no roadmap to everything, anything. So we can, and, you know, as real life people, we can't go back and look at the previous episodes of our life and go, oh, the writers screwed that up. Like, that's not a very realistic portrayal. We can't do that. So, and neither can they. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, And that's what's realistic, that there is no right choice how yeah. do you know right no one knows what's what's right until you've lived it and then yeah reflect and you learn lessons from it and try try to make better decisions in the future but one thing I will yeah. say and I will comment on this on the season two recap briefly hopefully uh the listeners will join us for that is that I really like the the parallel between Philip and Brigitte versus Casper and Katrine and that as you just talked about and pointed out these life circumstances which are beyond our control and they're there it's no one's fault it's not a fault of Katrine for wanting to have a baby it's not a fault of Brigitte for wanting to work hard and excel at being a prime minister it's not a fault of Philip that he wants to have a partner who's uh gonna give him a bit more time and with Casper it's not his fault either that he doesn't want to have a baby um, and yeah. that's got residual, you know, memories of what happened in his past. It's no one's fault. And as I said in one of the bonus episodes, I believe in season one, is that um, we 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 all go into things innocently where we think, oh, my partner is moving to a new city and we're going to move together for a new job and it's going to be so great. Or, you know, my son is going to university, he's moving away, life is going to be great and I'm going to be okay. And like all these are hypothetical examples I'm yeah. making up, but the point is you don't know, right? Yeah. Or I'm going to uh, move away with this person I've been dating for a year and we're going to go to a foreign country and everything is going to be perfect and no, it might not be, but we never know. But the point in life is that we have to take chances. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. So that's that's yeah. all I'll say there. I will say, in my opinion, I think episode nine was more um, dramatic and there was more yeah. happening in, in, in episode nine. And actually, the first time I watched episode nine ever, I thought that that would be the season finale. Me too. Yeah, me too. Because it was just so dramatic. Like she hands over the duties for, to to, uh, to Thornson to 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 take over her for her while she's away, um, yeah. and it, it was shocking, right? Because and in typical yeah. Morgan style, it happened so quickly, right? Yeah, exactly. He made the decision. The next scene, we're at the press conference. Thornson's there. She said it out loud. You know, again, the show doesn't waste yeah. time. So, so yeah, yeah. All right. Well, and once again, if once again, for our listeners, if we screwed up somebody's name, we are not native Danish speakers. In fact, sometimes I feel like I barely speak English. So you'll just have to give us a bit of a break on pronunciation. I'm sorry. We are (laughs) sorry. From time to time, we will slip up. Yeah. All right. So is there anything else you want to get into before? No, that's it. I think we can wrap this episode up. All right, and we'll move on to recording our uh, season two recap next. So, listeners, I hope you'll you'll stick around for that. 
We'd like to thank our listeners for joining us on this episode. You can check us out on our website, theborganpodcast.com, where all of our episodes are archived and you can learn more about the, the show and more about us. Uh, also, please subscribe to us. Subscribe to the podcast so you know when new episodes come out. We'd like to thank our good friend Garth Jensen, whose birthday was yesterday, and I'm going to his birthday party tonight. We'd like to thank you, Garth, for providing our intro and outro music. Thank you very much. And happy birthday. And lastly, don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms. We are there and we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to connect with us and share what's on your mind by using the hashtag The Borgen Podcast or by sending us an email or voice memo to theborgenpodcast at gmail.com. 